Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Ephesians 4, okay, big shift. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, it's this grand, uh, theologically rich and deep work. Here are all the things that God has done for us in Jesus. Remember, we used our little dolls to talk about being in Christ. This is us, and according to chapter 1, when we hear the message and believe the message about Jesus, then we're incorporated into Christ. So that's us. We're hidden in him, and ju- just through, through faith. And so there are all these things that... Uh, are, that are true of us, that accrue to us because we're in Christ, solely because of relationship with him. Verse, or chapter 1 talks about being chosen to be holy and blameless, about being predestined to be adopted into God's family as sons and daughters, about uh, receiving redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, having this mystery of the Father revealed to us that he's uniting all things together in Jesus, that we've been chosen for the praise of his glory, that we've been uh, marked, sealed with the Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In chapter 2, we see what, what our salvation looks like. What does it, it mean for us to be in Christ? It means that even though we were dead in our transgressions and sins, Because of his great love, God who's rich in mercy has made us alive in Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled to the Father, not because of our efforts to please him, but by grace, his unmerited and undeserved favor, through faith, through trusting in Jesus. We've been made alive and now we're seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and that's us. So that puts us at the right hand of the Father also. This is reality for us. Spiritual reality, but reality nonetheless. Then in chapter 4, it's a hard pivot. It starts getting very mundane. Paul starts talking about all kinds of really practical, daily relationships and issues. And he says, here's here's, here's what obedience looks like. This is your reality. You are in Christ. You've been, you've received all of these spiritual blessings You've received this incredible salvation, this reconciliation to the Father. And here's what it looks like to live that out. Because of what God has done for you, for me, for us, this then is how we should live. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are full of commands. Depending on how you count, there's at least 12, 15 more of them. And uh, again, it feels very different. Uh, Mundane, maybe, daily, very blunt and what Paul is saying, uh, but the expectation there is that we would obey. So let's look at chapter 4, first six verses today, just as a setup for the next uh, six or seven or eight weeks. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. So headline for chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, make every effort, excuse me, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. That's what Paul says, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. That's the headline, the heading For the rest of the book, everything else that flows out of it is an outworking of that command. 
live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And again, there's lots of commands Paul's going to give us. And if we forget chapters 1, 2, and 3, chapters 4, 5, and 6 can feel really burdensome and wearying and, 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 and cumbersome. Golly, there's so much. I can't remember it and I can't do it all every day. And he's picking into every single area of my life. We've got to remember we've been seated with Christ in heavenly realms. We're in him. The power that raised him from the dead lives within us. God doesn't just say, here, here's some things that you need to do. He empowers us by his spirit to obedience. And, and these things that he's commanding us to do, it's not in order to earn his favor. It's not in order to be drawn into right relationship with him. Remember, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not a result of our efforts. These are things that flow out of relationship with God. Because we're in Christ, then we live this way. Because we've been filled with the spirit, then we can live this way. So keep that in mind. The first thing is to receive the calling. That's all the stuff that we talked about in chapter one and chapter two. We receive first. And then because we've received this calling, then we live a life that's worthy of. That means to, to match up to, to align with, to be congruent with that calling. We want our life to match up with that reality. This life that we're living here in this physical material world, we want that to align with and match up with the truth about us in the spiritual world. So then Paul gives three commands. And initially what he's talking about here at the beginning of chapter 4 is our relationships with one another. These are relationships within the family of God, within the body of Christ. Relationships with other believers. Three commands. One, be completely humble, not kinda, completely humble and gentle. Two, be patient, bearing with each other in love. Three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace and then he describes the unity of the spirit the unity of the spirit with these seven ones one spirit one body one lord one faith one baptism a one hope to which you were called a one one god and father of all who's over all and through all and in all so those ones those seven ones that describes or defines the unity of the spirit. So taking each of those three commands, and again, as we're walking through them, like I don't have no magic tricks. It's very plain. This, this is what we do. The, the expectation is that we're going to obey these commands. So I want you thinking through the context of your relationships with other Christians, both within this church and outside of this church, other believers. I want you to think through this lens of relationship. Am I being completely humble and gentle? Uh, Jesus describes himself using those two words, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, that famous section about coming to him. If you're weary and burdened, he says, come to me. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. So if we want to know what it means to be completely and humble and gentle, we look at Jesus. Humility, I think C.S. Lewis it was, they said it best. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. Not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. A great book, if you want to dig into this, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. Really short. You can read it in an hour. It costs $2. We used to. It costs $2 on Amazon. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. So not thinking less of myself or yourself, but thinking of ourselves less. That is biblical humility. And when we think of ourselves, which shouldn't be that often, we think of ourselves rightly. I think about Paul in chapter 3. On one hand, he can say, I'm a holy apostle and prophet. God has revealed things to me that he hadn't revealed to very many other people. He recognizes who he is in Jesus. 
And he can also say, I'm less than the least of all God's people. He's able to hold both of those things in tension. The reality of who he was prior to his conversion. He was an opponent of the gospel. He was a persecutor of the church. He, he, he was a killer of Christians. He knows that about himself. But he also knows he's now a new creation. And the old is gone. He can hold on to both of those things. He knows he's been set apart by God for a particular work. He knows that he's been forgiven. He knows he's been reconciled in relationship. So yes, we don't want to think of ourselves that often. But when we do, we want to think of ourselves rightly. Not too highly and not too lowly. Want to hold in tension the reality of yet. Like what we read in chapter 2. I was dead. And my trespasses and sins. I gratified the, the sinful desires of my flesh. I followed the ways of the world. I followed the ways of the devil. 100% those things were true of me. And yet, I'm a new creation now. When God looks at me, he sees me as holy. It's blameless, spotless, pure, without stain or wrinkle. Not because I'm cute. Not because I'm smart. Not because I'm good. Not because I try really hard. But because of his grace. And because I'm in Christ, simply by trusting in him. We hold both of those truths together. That's what it means to be completely humble. Gentle is a tricky word for us. Your Bible may say meekness. It's the same word. It's, it's relating to people or interacting with people in a way that doesn't avoid conflict, but doesn't exaggerate it or exacerbate it either. It's kind of a middle road, gentleness or meekness is. In Galatians 6, Paul uses the word to talk about how we restore somebody who's been in sin. We acknowledge that there's, that there's sin there. We're not looking to work anybody over. I think the, a great picture of it is the woman caught in adultery in John 8. Y'all remember that story? Pharisees uh, bring a woman to Jesus and say, we've caught this woman in adultery. The law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you think about that? And he starts writing in the dirt, and we don't know what he wrote. And then at some point he looks up and he says, well, whoever's without sin, y'all cast the first stone. And he bends down, he starts writing again. And then the, the, the Pharisees start leaving from oldest to the youngest. They start leaving. And then at some point Jesus looks up and he looks at the woman and says, there's nobody here to condemn you. And she says, no. And then the, the clincher for us, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's gentleness. It's both. Neither do I condemn you. I'm not going to kick you while you're down. Go and sin no more. Stop doing what you're doing. It's both of those things. Not avoiding the issue. She was where she was because of her sinful choices. But also not exacerbating it. I don't condemn you. We want to be completely humble and gentle. When I think about that phrase within the body of Christ, I think about it with people like Jesus talks about in Matthew 11, where he calls himself gentle and humble in heart. People who are struggling. He says to, he says, he's saying to his followers, if you're weary and if you're burdened, come to me because I'm gentle and humble in heart. I think in that sense, he's talking about people who are honestly, they're, they're getting worn out by the religious leaders. He says about them, y'all tie up heavy loads and you put it on men and women's backs and you don't lift a finger to help them. And so there are people within our body, people that you know who love Jesus, who are worn out and who are run down. And there's some of them that are in that state because of their own sinful choices. And what Paul is saying is when you're meeting, when you're interacting with people like that, 
Be completely humble and gentle. Think of Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. In humility, consider others better than yourself. Look not to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. So when you're interacting with, with someone who's burned out, who's worn out, who's run down, even if that's because of their own sinful choices, you're interacting in a way that's saying, I, I'm not trying to, this isn't about me. It's not about me being right. It's not about you being wrong. It's not about me coming down on you. It's, I, I, I'm, I'm, this isn't about what I can get from this, how it makes me look or how it makes me feel. This is, I, I'm here for you and I want to see you restored and I want to see you renewed. We got to deal with the issue absolutely. But I'm not going to wear you out over it. Water and not gas on the fire. Be completely humble and gentle. And then he shifts. And I think at this point he says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And I think he's talking about people who annoy us and who aggravate us. And that happens too within the body of Christ. Patient, long-suffering. That's the word. And it means exactly what it says. Be long-suffering. Suffer alongside. Bear with. Endure underneath. These people who are disagreeable, who offend you who upset you, who disappoint you. Don't quit in relationship. It's not easy for us. So easy for us to write people off. And Paul says, don't. You've got a brother or a sister, and they're aggravating. Be patient with them. Be long-suffering. Bear with them. The flip of that is recognize at times you're the same way. You can be aggravating to other people as well. And we want them to be long-suffering and bearing along with you. We, we can't make it together as a body without long-suffering and bearing with. Our, we, we, there's too many interactions, too many places where we can be misunderstood. Too many places where we put our foot in our mouth. Too many places where we disappoint and offend. Think about that, that uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Nope, that's not it. It's in Galatians. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's not in Galatians either. Where is it? Chris? You'll think of it. She will. Does anybody know where that is? No, I'm thinking. Forest! Front row forest, and you don't know. Huh? Huh? I'll keep moving. I'm going to think about it the rest of the time. First Peter! There we go. First Peter 4. There we go. We're all in it together. Bear with me and be long-suffering. <laughs> I get things in my head sometimes and I can't move on. So this is what I would say about that. People are aggravating. People are annoying. I'm aggravating. I'm annoying. We don't want to quit in relationship over that. It's not a reason to. We want to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. I think about that. It's the unity of the Spirit. It kind of seems like it'd be His job to maintain it. It's his, not ours. But Paul says, make every effort, strenuously work to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's not easy. It's not easy. I think about it. He wrote that 2,000 years ago when there weren't 400 churches in the city, plus online. He wrote that when there was a, there was a few churches that met in people's house, and they all were kind of under one umbrella, and he's still having to say to them, 
maintain the unity of the Spirit. He's definitely talking about Jew-Gentile, but he's talking about more than that. It's just our nature. We divide and we, we move into factions. We're discord, dissension, strife. It's not easy. He talks about the bond of peace in chapter 2. Jesus is our peace. He's torn down the wall of hostility. We all approach him based on the same, uh, from, the, from the same ground. We have one spirit, one body. I think about that picture of body versus family. They're both true of the church. When I think of family, I think of uh, yet 100%. There's unity there, but there's also differentiation. There's individuality. Father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, grandmother, grandfather. Yes, when I think of body, I don't think about that as much. There's a lot less differentiation between this. My hand's not my foot, but my hand and my feet, they, they interact in a way that even that parents and kids don't. He picks that on purpose. Again, family's 100% true, but there's something about body leans so hard towards unity. There's one spirit. There's one body. There's one Lord. That's Jesus. There's one faith. We're all trusting in him. There's one baptism. There's one initiation into this body, into this group. There's one hope that we were called to. We're all, we're, all, we're all in the family of the one father. There's the family language who works through us all and lives within us all individually and corporately. Don't, the, this unity of the spirit. Again, that's so easy for us to neglect and overlook. I do want to just over here, just be careful. Someone like me could use a verse like that to manipulate and to control you and I don't want to do that so I don't want you to hear make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit to say don't you ever disagree with me don't you ever leave this church don't you ever buck that's not it at all that's not what's going on here there's relationships among us as the body of Christ and Paul is saying fight for those relationships my philosophy on church membership we don't have membership uh, church belonging, 1 Peter 5. Jesus is the chief shepherd, and we're all sheep. And so he gets to decide where the sheep go. My job is to be an under-shepherd, and so I want to take care of everybody who's here for as long as they're here, recognizing at times God's, Jesus will call you out, and that's fine. We'll be sad to see you go, but I'm not going to try to make you stay because you're not mine. You're his. And so I, I don't want you to, we absolutely want to lean towards maintaining unity. It's, we're, we're, we're golden corral people. We love the buffet. Take and pick and choose what we want. That's us. And so we absolutely need to lean towards maintaining unity, working hard to do that. But also want to recognize, like, I don't own any of you. And, and you don't owe me anything. And so I, I don't want you to hear this as, an, as um, a license for me or anyone in our leadership to control or to dominate, to domineer, to try to uh, manipulate. That's not what's going on here at all. I hope you can hear that for sure. We want to maintain the unity of the spirit. And we also want to recognize we have a chief shepherd and there's one church in this city, lots of congregations with one church. And he gets to decide where everybody is. Good? Okay. So here's some things I want you thinking about as we close. We're going to take communion, which reminds us of 
the one body. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, he talks about one loaf. That's what we have. This, this bread that's been broken. We're all sharing from this same loaf. We all partake of the same body and blood of the same Lord. So there's a unity piece there that we want to keep in mind. And what I encourage you to do as you think about communion, how am I in my relationships with others? I think about what Chris said during her testimony. And in, for all of us, if we're honest, we would say, I'm not living necessarily at peace with everybody within the body. Not just this church, but other believers in your life. Are there people who maybe you're a little bit sideways with? Think about people who maybe are, they're run down, they're run over, they're burned out, they're worn out. Maybe from their own choices, which can be super easy to want to wash our hands and walk away from people like that. It's like you, the reason you're in the mud is because you jumped in the pit. That's so easy for us to do. That's not really being completely humble and gentle though. And so we want to acknowledge that. Everybody's got that person who just annoys you. They aggravate you. You see them when you, when you come in. You sit on the other side of the room. You pretend to be on your phone when you're walking out so they don't talk to you. Are you being patient, long-suffering with them? Are you bearing with them? And then again, both of those things fit under this umbrella of making every effort to maintain the bond of peace. So let's pray. Close your eyes, if you would. Excuse me, the unity of the Spirit. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you do that? We recognize it's your unity. We, we're, we're, we're connected to each, to each other, not based on affinity, liking the same things or commonality being in the same places in life, we're connected to one another because one spirit indwells each one of us, because we've been baptized into one body, because we're all following one Lord and have faith in him, because we're all, we've all been adopted by one father who works through us and lives in us. It's the basis of our unity. It's what you've done. So would you help us here within this church and then within the, the broader church in our city to make every effort to strive strenuously to maintain that unity. And I pray really specifically that you would begin to speak to each one of us in this room. Would you show us, are there, are there relationships within the body that are strained or maybe even non-existent. Would you bring, begin to bring conviction? Where am, I, where, where am I, and you can just pray this, where am I not being patient and bearing with another? In what relationship am I not being completely humble and gentle? And see what comes to mind. I don't know that you need to do this. I think you need to be careful. But you may need to call somebody this afternoon and ask for forgiveness. If they don't know there's something wrong, don't ask them to forgive you. It's just going to make it worse. 
But if they do, then maybe you need to. I would add, maybe, maybe even a, a, a next step in terms of depth. Begin to ask the Lord this, God, why? Why is it hard for me in this relationship to be completely humble and gentle? Why is it hard for me with this person to be patient? And don't just say, well, it's because they're annoying. Look at your own self. God, what is it in me? What are the buttons that are getting pushed? In relationships, pride, it kills them. Our own arrogance. Think about that. Do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Pride does everything out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. God, is it my envy? Is that what makes it difficult for me in this relationship? I want something they have. I can't love them disinterestedly because I'm trying to get something from them. Maybe there's a part of me that enjoys it when they have a bad day or they get knocked down a peg. Am I being judgmental? This need to be right? Is that undermining relationship? Just ask him. So you can begin to do that work in your own heart. We don't just want to do behavior modification where we grit our teeth and try really hard to like people that are unlikable. We want to say is, this is reality. Unity in the spirit. That's reality. So would you give us grace, Holy Spirit, to live that out in the practicalities of life with our brothers and sisters? Some of whom it's really easy for us to be completely patient, or excuse me, completely humble and gentle with. Some of whom it's really easy for us to be patient and to bear with. And others whom it's much more difficult. I pray, God, as we take communion, we want to acknowledge the gift of your son. We want to acknowledge the great work that he's done for us. We're so thankful that he's made a way for us to boldly approach your throne. So as we take bread and dip it in juice, we do so in faith trusting, believing, expecting that it's more than just an outward symbol, that there's something mysterious going on in our hearts as we take this. We also want to recognize it's a, it's, it is, it, it, it reminds us of the provision that's been made for us, not just for the forgiveness of our sins, but empowerment for obedience. And so would you help us in each and all of our relationships to be completely humble and gentle, to be patient, bearing with one another in love. And I pray that in this church and in the broader church within our city, I pray that we would keep the unity of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.